We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans and Pacer fans? Welcome to a special crossover Brooklyn Buzz slash Full Access Pacers. I'm Nick Faye. No Jack Manuel, but we have on here special guest Corey Waldron. Corey, how are we doing? Doing good, Nick. Uh, first ever crossover pod between the Brooklyn Buzz and Full Access Pacers. I'm glad Jack's not on this episode <laughs> because the Pacers got obliterated and having two Nets fans gang up on me probably wouldn't be the best case for me of riding a four-game losing streak. But hey, um, you know, everything has to happen the way it does. It's a little revenge for Jack and I because last year or two season, two years ago, I guess at this point, we went to a Pacer-Nets game and, and the Nets got crushed. And tonight, obviously, the Nets got the W, 104-94 Probably a little closer than what it looked like. Nets had a pretty big lead in this one. Before we get started, you can catch the Brooklyn Buzz and Philaxis Pacers on all streaming platforms. But Corey, what did you think for the initial start of the game? Obviously, the Nets kind of came out with some high energy. Actually, both teams in the first possession, first couple possessions were pretty bad. And then the Nets picked it up a few minutes in. Yeah, I mean, uh, James Harden had a couple turnovers. Uh, uh Pacer-wise, it felt like DeMontis Sabonis was really trying to force his offense to get himself going, which looked like it was going to be the right thing early on. And then DeAndre Jordan probably played his best game of the season, as you could probably attest to. Uh, so he looked out of rhythm. And I thought, you know, the, the Nets did a good job getting to the free throw line in the first quarter. I think at the end of the first quarter, there was a 14-2 free throw advantage in favor of the Nets that obviously helped them kind of get through that little bit of a rough patch. And then, of course, you know, in general, the first half, the Pacers shot 25% from the field in the first half. Couldn't buy a bucket, especially in that first quarter. The starters looked really bad. The bench gave them a little bit of life. But, I mean, the Nets were just really flowing. They look like a team that, obviously, playing on the back-to-back, lost the night before and really wanted to get back on track tonight. Yeah, it was almost kind of bad luck for the Pacers because the Nets, 
didn't perform well in their previous game and lost to obviously the Detroit Pistons. And that's just, you know, something you're going to be upset about. And the players kind of called themselves out. And initially when the game started, like you said, there was a couple of sloppy turnovers on both sides. The Nets started to pick it up. But I feel like getting to the free throw line also really helped the Nets defensively because they were able to get in their half court sets. And also a lot of the turnovers were dead ball turnovers instead of live ball, allowing the Pacers to kind of get in transition. I mean, like you mentioned, the Pacers were just cold. 18 points in the first 12 points in the second quarter, that's 30 and a half. I mean, I've watched the Nets give up 30 points a quarter almost this entire season. We saw it in the third and fourth quarter. Just, I thought it was a combination of the Nets' defense, but also the Pacers just being ice cold. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the first half, Malcolm Brogdon and DeMontis Sabonis went a combined 5 of 20 from the field. Sabonis was minus 29. Brogdon was a minus 30 in that first half. Uh, you know, maybe it's the fatigue catching catching up to those guys. Both those guys are in the top six for minutes per game, averaging almost 37 per game. Maybe just this condensed se- se- season and then playing so many minutes, it's starting, starting to catch up to them. But, like, those guys getting so many shots and then, like, Sabone, uh, Turner and Lamb only having three combined shots in the first half, it's problematic. And then, of course, when you're going against a Brooklyn Nets offense, which does have a Kyrie Irving and does have a James Harden, who, as we know, are two fantastic dynamic scorers, it puts a lot of pressure on your offense and not even make many mistakes to begin with. And the Pacers obviously made a ton of mistakes in that first half. And like you mentioned, there was a lot of pressure on Sabonis and Brogdon, and it almost felt like they had to force it. You know, Sabonis was in a lot of situations where DeAndre Jordan is around his size and strength, and he's just taller than him. So he was trying to force those shots instead of getting to an advantage situation. And Malcolm Brogdon, we've kind of talked about before, he's more of like your secondary scorer, secondary ball handler, and missing a guy like Karis LeVert. Obviously, we saw him there on the bench tonight, which was awesome, and he got that nice tribute video. And then even a guy like TJ Warren. I feel like, to be honest, like TJ Warren's a guy, if he played tonight, he would have feasted. Yeah, I mean, the the Pacers miss someone who, because again, Malcolm Brogdon isn't a, a shot creator. He's a good, like you said, a secondary ball handler who can facilitate for others and then pick his spots offensively. But he's also being asked to be their best shot creator. And that's what this Pacers team lacks without having a TJ Warren, without having Karis LeVert yet and losing Victor Oladipo. They don't have that guy who can put the ball on the ground and give themselves a bucket. Like in the second half, it was TJ McConnell. Like TJ McConnell was the best shot creator for the Pacers this game, probably coming in that third quarter. Yeah, I mean, you could argue maybe he was the best Pacers tonight in terms of just effort out there and just, you know, bringing them back into this game. I guess let's talk Miles Turner for a little bit. Felt like this was a really rough game for Turner, and I'm a big supporter of him, and I've kind of talked him up in the past. But, you know, three rebounds, one block, one of four from the field, uh, three points. And majority of the time, he had James Harden on him, and he wasn't able to really take advantage of that on the boards or even offensively. Just a really, really passive game, and he also had five fouls. Like, he could not defend Kyrie at the rim. Yeah, I mean, this, obviously, the Pacers currently are riding a four-game losing streak. Uh, their longs of the season, they have also dipped underneath 500. Uh, they're 12-13 and 13 now for the year. And actually, funny enough, uh, the, this is the second time this year that the Pacers have lost, a, a, lost against a team on a back-to-back in the night before loss to the Pistons. The Suns did it, and now the Nets. Uh, so if you beat the Pistons and you got the Pacers next up, you're probably going to win. It's just good <laughs> luck for you. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Turner, non-existent offensively. Like, again, it kind of feels like Turner of last year, which you and me talked about a lot, in which he was extremely passive, not looking for his own offense. Uh, you know, a couple times when the Vidro Debo trade happened, like right after, you know, he had a game where he had 14 free throws and he was attacking the basket and being more aggressive. And that Turner is gone again. And then defensively, 
You know, he didn't look great tonight, but the perimeter defense of the Pacers was really bad. And sometimes yeah. he got caught in, like, I know that DeAndre Jordan dunk in the second half, in the first, in the second quarter. Like, people were like, oh, like, Turner, you got to get back on that. But, like, it's a two-on-one situation because the perimeter guy got beaten by the Turner was in between. It's not Turner's miscure at his fault. Um, so, again, yeah, someone has to help the helper. Right, exactly. So I feel like Turner on defense is, is almost getting made to look bad because of the lack of help around him. And then offensively, there's a lack of aggression again. And, you know, the Pacers are a team that have been in the top five in terms of assists per game. It felt like in the first half in particular, they just weren't moving the ball around. The, the offense was really stagnant. They were letting the Nets pick the, pick the shooters they wanted to shoot and get and dig deep in the paint. And the Pacers had no answer. Yeah, they really couldn't punish them. And, you know, they didn't really get enough shots in the paint in that first half in comparison yeah. to the second half. I felt like they really did a better job attacking and taking advantage of some of the Nets' defensive liabilities. But like you said, on the Pacers' defense, they just had a real trouble defending Kyrie Irving on the perimeter. Same thing with James Harden, put pressure on the bigs. And that's why Harden and Kyrie combined shot 27 free throws in this game. And they went 27-27 and 27 from the line, which in itself is just a pretty crazy number. Yeah, I mean, both those guys, obviously, we know how good James Harden is as draw, at drawing fouls and getting to the line. Kyrie Irving, obviously, is a very efficient free throw shooter. I can't remember the last time I saw him take 17 free throws in a game. Career uh, high. Oh, is it? Well, there you go. Career high for Kyrie Irving tonight. Um, but yeah, I mean, those guys got to the free throw line at will. I also felt like Landry Chimet couldn't miss for the Nets tonight. I felt like he had a really good night. Um, you know, the free throw discrepancy was pretty big in this game. I'm not saying, you know, it it was... You know, a lot of missed calls or Pacers didn't get calls. But the fact of the matter is the Nets shot 35 free throws. The Pacers only shot 11. Um, that obviously does help the Nets in favor of them this game. I thought there was a couple shots around the rim that Sabonis probably could have gotten a foul. Yep. But when Sabonis is going to back somebody down in the paint for 14 seconds, he's probably not going to get a foul. I, it's just, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you have yeah. to. you can't Especially you to, when he creates so much contact himself. Right. Like, you can't disrupt the flow of the offense and then play bully ball for 10 seconds and then get mad there's not a foul call. Like, refs are going to give you that. Um, and I feel like Sabonis, especially in the second half, I feel like was getting frustrated by the lack of calls at times. But... Um, I, I didn't really have much of a problem with the refs and the whistle tonight, even though I know some people on Pacers Twitter did. Yeah, I think Sabonis probably could have got a couple calls in this game. I think what really hurt the Pacers is they didn't have any athletic wings attacking the rim. You know what right. I mean? There wasn't any. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Somebody really putting pressure on the Nets. Like, to be honest, Doug McDermott, you know, he was a guy, I think all of his makes came at the rim, like just yeah. on cuts, taking advantage of some of the smaller Nets guards. And a guy like Jeremy Lamb wasn't able to kind of get to his spots over there. And I think that hurt. And then, like, we talked about Malcolm Brogdon. To be honest, he just looks slow out there. 
you know, he just doesn't have that burst to his game. And he's forced to take a lot of those floaters and in-between shots where he's kind of contested off balance. And that's like we talked about earlier. I think missing TJ Warren and a Karis Avert in this game were huge, especially with some of that offensive attack in the paint. But Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Flipping to the net side, let's talk Kyrie Irving. I thought he was the best net tonight. 35 points, 8 of 17 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, 17 of 17 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 8 assists, 1 steal, 2 blocks, 2 turnovers. I thought all around he really had a nice game. And I, I thought what was good about Kyrie Irving tonight from uh, his point of play is he started off by being more of a facilitator rather than an attacker. It felt like his his focus in the first quarter was let's see who else we can get going. Joe Harris got going quick for them. Um, obviously, John J. Jordan was effective early on as well. But I feel like Kyrie decided to pick his spots offensively and kind of focus on the guys around him, which made his offense, I feel like, come e- that much easier to him, especially in that first half when he was smiling and just flowing. Yeah, I mean, he called himself out and called out the Nets yesterday of not playing hard enough, not enough enough effort. And I felt like he showcased that, even pushing the ball a little bit with tempo, like you said, passing to his teammates. I thought defensively he was nice in this game, didn't really have any issues. And just attacking the rim, being aggressive and putting the pressure on the defense. Funny thing is, in his last press conference, he called out the refs for not getting enough calls. Like, he he really, I don't think he's been to the line 10 times in a game this year. It's Mm. funny he had 17 in this one, and he ended up getting a lot of calls that he hasn't all season. But I think some of that is just, if you're going downhill and being aggressive constantly, the refs are going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, he had one layup, um, I I believe it was Kyrie, it was up and under over Turner. And, you know, again, like, Turner has made his bread and butter this year on blocking those kind of shots. And Irving, obviously, being so crafty and able, and being so quick, was able to get to buy him in the basket and get to the layup. Um, but yeah, he was he was fantastic. And the Pacers just had no answer because, again, their best perimeter defender is probably Malcolm Brogdon. But because of James Harden's size, Brogdon's the best defender to throw at a guy like James Harden. And again, you know, Brogdon had a couple steals on Harden. I feel like he played decent defense against James Harden. But when you're playing against a top six player, you're limiting that player. You're not going to stop that player. The only way you're going to stop that player is if he has a bad night. Yeah, and I mean, James Harden didn't really have a good night. 4-13 from the field, 1-6 from three, did go 10-10 from the free throw line, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, but did have those 5 turnovers, only 19 points. I mean, this is probably one of his least productive games as a net, especially in the assist category. I want to say he's almost been in double digits every single night, so credit to Brogdon. I thought Harden was a little bit too... um, Settling a little bit too much for that step back three at points, especially when he got Sabonis on him, like take Sabonis to the rim. You know what I mean? Because when he did, he ended up getting to the free throw line. But credit to Brogdon, because he's probably one of the only guards in the league that actually has the strength to match with James Harden. And this is the second time the Pacers have played against James Harden. Obviously, he was at the Rockets early on. And James Harden, the same type of issue of not being able to really uh, bully Malcolm Brogdon. Um, We saw that again tonight, at least to a certain extent. 
Yeah, and I think this is a, the benefit of having two superstars. Obviously, the Nets have three. Kevin Durant still being out with quarantine. Yeah. You have one guy, you know, hey, we're going to limit this guy, but now we're, we're forced to put a lesser defender on Kyrie Irving, and he took advantage of that. And I guess we got to talk DeAndre Jordan. This was arguably his best game as a net. Like, not even just his best game of the season. I know it's only 12 points, 13 rebounds, and three blocks, but the energy and effort level out there, defensively, the communication. He got called out yesterday by James Harden, by Steve Nash. It looked like multiple teammates. And today he showed up and he really played hard and played 36 minutes, which is a lot for a vet like him. Yeah, I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, Set the tempo. Let DeMontis Sabonis know it wasn't going to be a bully. I mean, last time we saw them live, you know, Sabonis had a big, you know, bully kind of push. He moved him like a freaking fullback on a linebacker. Like, (laughs) yeah. Uh, And Jordan held his ground tonight, plain and simple, had two like throwback Lob City type of empathetic dunks where he looked like he had a little bit more in the tank than I expected. Like you said, I I saw the highlight of James Harden yelling at him and kind of getting into him. And again, like that's this is what the Nets have needed is some sort of force down low since Jaron Allen was traded, of course. Now, again, can DeAndre Jordan do this for the rest of the season? I don't know. I don't think so. But this you need more of this for the foreseeable future. At least if you can get this out of DeAndre Jordan for 18 to 24 minutes a night, somewhere in that range. Like obviously he played 36 minutes tonight and they were good minutes. But if you can get that for 24 minutes of that extreme hustle and energy, especially in the first half, it's going to do this Nets team wonders. Because again, he was he was getting back on defense. You weren't seeing his hands by his side, uh, and he was being physical. And, and again, on the boards, I mean, Sabonis is a really good rebounder, and Sabonis and and Turner, both of those guys were neutralized on the boards, but because of DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, I think that's where he really had a nice impact. Like you said, 13 rebounds, a lot of them contested going up against it. And I felt like one thing DeAndre used tonight is his size. Like he still obviously has a little athleticism, but he's a big body down there. And I think he did good use of that. And like you said, you know, he's not going to play 36 minutes most nights. I think 20, 24 minutes probably tops. And most matchups aren't going to be as perfect for him. We talked about Sabonis kind of owning him last year, but in terms of like where he can match up, a post player is someone where he's going to have more success, especially with Sabonis' three-point shot being a little bit inconsistent, where the Nets were living with him being out there. 100%. Now, going on, any other Nets stick out to you from the Pacer side? Like anybody you watched tonight and you were like, oh, oh, that was kind of impressive. Uh, I mean, two guys in particular. I thought Tyler Johnson played some solid minutes. Um, and I thought Landry Schmidt. I mean, I, again, Landry Schmidt. I feel like hit some nice, had some nice threes. Uh, Look like he was in the flow of the offense. You know, James Harden gave up a wide open three to give Landry Schmidt a, a three in the corner. I actually think Schmidt missed it. But again, like, I feel like if the Nets can start to get some of that added production from the bench, you know, we know how dynamic the offense is going to be, especially when you have Durant, Irving, and Harden. Uh, but if the role players start getting confidence and they start making, start extending the floor by hitting their threes, and you have Irving and Harden and then Durant back while Harden and Irving are getting to the freeze line and putting pressure on a defense, it makes this Nets offense even better if that's even possible. Um, so I, I really like the supporting cast for the Nets tonight because again, I feel like the Pacers, when they were about to make a run, it was actually the it was actually the Nets role players in a lot of ways that were stopping the run. Yeah, I thought Shamit, he's kind of picked it up lately. He started the season extremely rough, but getting in the flow of things. And you mentioned Tyler Johnson. I feel like Tyler Johnson was almost the Nets' TJ McConnell. Obviously, TJ McConnell had a nice game for the Pacers, but he was that annoying guard that kind of pushed you full court and put the pressure on you. And obviously, Jack isn't here, and we'd get in trouble. We didn't talk about him. But Joe Harris, you know, 6 of 11, 3 of 7 from 3, 17 points. It was a very quiet 17 points, and it's super efficient. Some of that was due to foul trouble, but... 
Joe just really finds his rhythm in the offense. Yeah, I mean, and the Pacers made a couple mistakes. I know he had a, a either one or two wide open threes, and it's just like that's the one guy in this Nets team that you for sure can't like. It, like obviously the superstars you don't want open, but you definitely don't want the only guy who's like his best attribute is shooting three point. Like don't leave that guy open. The Pacers did that a few times. Um, I will say like Bruce Brown, like actually getting to see some Bruce Brown, the guy who plays with a hell of a lot of energy. Um, he actually got called for an out of bounds play when Demontis Sabonis clearly blocked and pushed him out of bounds, which, you know, whatever the case may be, you don't always get the calls. Uh, but that guy goes 110% at all times. I understand why Jack and Nets fans love him. Yeah. I mean, he plays high energy, high effort, limited offensively with his yeah. game, but, uh, Joe McCarr actually on the show last night talked about, imagine if Bruce Brown was a center, if he was 6'10", and he would be perfect mm. because of just the way he plays with that type of energy level. I guess in terms of negative for the Nets, you know, Jeff Green didn't have his best shooting game. I think there was plenty of mysteries for him. And TLC, you know, had some okay minutes, but there's just some mistakes that TLC commits that really stick out. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it uh, right before we got on there, but that, that one possession with TLC tried to, Try to do too much. We call that the doing too much, where he wanted to he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Especially and, when Kyrie's next to him. Give the ball to damn Kyrie Irving. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I mean, he had that nice run in the bubble, and I still think there's hope for him to get back to the being, you know, at least a, a three-point threat and some, a defensive aspect threat as well. Um, but it just feels like he's also just trying to get back in the rhythm. Yeah, to his flow and feel for the game just isn't quite there. There is some talent and there's some flash. But, Corey, anybody else you want to talk on from the Pacer side? I mean, from a, a game like this, when you're a, when you get obliterated again, the Patriots trail by 32 at halftime, had a good third quarter, and then obviously still ended up losing by uh, only lost by 10, but it wasn't really 10. Uh, it wasn't close at all. Um, you know, I, I think T.J. McConnell. I think you mentioned him. He had an effective run in the third quarter that really got this Pacers team back on track. That's the one thing T.J. McConnell has kind of done all year. It's the reason why Nate Bjorken kind of closes games out with T.J. McConnell is he comes in and you know he's going to give you, you know, a hundred and thirty percent. Like he's he's the kind of guy. Um, I'm trying to think like. He, if it was like a sprint, he's a good sprinter, right? Like he's not a good marathon runner, but if you need somebody for a quick 20, like a 20 yard sh- like sprint, that's the guy you want. Cause he, he gives it all out. It just feels like he runs out of gas after like seven minutes of giving it all. And yeah. he says like, oh, okay, that guy can't shoot. So like, what's, what's he doing out there anymore? Um, but yeah, he helped get that team at least to make this a competitive game. Cause I know we were messaging each other a little bit at, at halftime and I know from my standpoint, like I was done. I was like, all right, like, do I have to watch any more of this? Uh, at least he made it a, a, a somewhat enjoyable third quarter. But that, yeah. that was really the only patient that stood out, to be honest. I mean, the high energy and the effort you appreciate as a fan. And like you yeah. said, just pushing the tempo and just trying to create something out of nothing. I mean, he did that a ton. Like, he really was just working hard. I thought Goga actually. Oh, I was about to say. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Goga had some nice minutes out there. Only 12, but 2-2 two two from the field. Had three blocks, five rebounds. He's a little handsy with some of his fouls, but he'll eventually learn. Yeah, he gave Jeff Green a nice hug under the basket. I'm not going to uh, lie. I was a little concerned about Jeff Green's collarbone because he got, like, jumped on. I was like, God damn, Jeff Green's 34, Goga. Be easy on him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Goga Badazi has definitely been one of the – I mean, it's it's actually sad, but this is the third straight game that Pacers bench, I think, has clearly outplayed the starters. Um, which isn't a good sign for any team. Obviously, the Pacers not being fully healthy is one story. But Goga Badazi has, I think, especially the last couple of games, has played himself into a position where he probably should be playing slightly more minutes. Like, Demas Sabonis doesn't need to be running himself into the ground at this point, especially when he's in a slump. Let's bring some of those minutes down. 
Turner at 25 minutes and five fouls, like that's what it is what it is. But Goga Badazi could be probably playing 15 minutes a night. He played like 12 or 13 tonight. Could probably play 15 minutes per night. And they could probably be productive minutes because again, he can add some rim protection. Good rebounder, has the size, and can expand the floor. He just needs more confidence to hit threes consistently. But it feels like he's the one guy for the Pacers that wasn't in the rotation early on this season, looked really bad for a guy who's only 20 years old. Now it just feels like he needs more time because why are you running Sabonis into the ground, plain and simple? Especially if Goga is playing solid and is giving you a little bit of an energy burst. You know what I mean? Just that young energy out there. He's going to make some mistakes, but that's okay because he can provide you with something. And even a game like tonight, maybe you try Sabonis and Goga out there just trying to attack the net size because obviously Jeff Green was the backup center. They just signed Noah Vonley, but he's not quite ready to get minutes yet. So there's definitely an opportunity to attack a little bit in there. Were you surprised the Pacers didn't have more success in this game, kind of attacking inside given that's been the Nets' biggest issue all season? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean the Nets are one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA, 27th defensive rating. Uh, the Pacers had two days off. They didn't play since Sunday. Uh, and again, it just feels like this is a game in which you would expect the Pacers to have a lot of energy and to look to attack the paint and look to get to the basket, maybe get to the free throw line. Uh, but it felt like that they were just these really stagnant possessions of Sabonis, you trying to do something. Okay, now Brogdon, you trying to do something. Yep. Okay, you guys trying to do a pick and roll together. It's just like, okay, well, we got Jeremy Lamb. He can hit some shots. Uh, we got Turner. Maybe we should give him a couple looks. It just felt like the Patriots during this losing streak had gotten away with gotten away from what got them into the four seed and the five seed in the Eastern Conference to begin with. And now it's become to the point where, like, I, you know, we gave our all-star predictions on the NBA outlet earlier. The outlet, excuse me, not the NBA outlet. The outlet, our different rebrand show. Um, and it feels like Sabonis has almost played his way out of the all-star game the last three games. I know that's like, a, that's like, well, okay, relax. You're overreacting. <laughs> it's three bad games. But that's kind of how bad those three games have been. Um, again, I looked at the final numbers just now. Sabonis and Brogdon were a combined 12 of 37 to finish this game. Like, that's just, you can't have your two starters taking that many shots and being that inefficient while Jeremy Lamb and Miles Turner barely get any looks. It's just a bad system for the offense. Nate Bjork is going to get stuff figured out. It's just one of those things where, like, not having a guy who can create his own shot is starting to hurt this team. Because, like you said, this Nets team doesn't necessarily have a great defense, and they've been getting torched by everybody. To only give up 30, to only score 30 points in the first half against the Nets, like, that's really embarrassing. Yeah, I think some of it, though, again, the Nets' effort was a little bit up in this game comparison against playing Detroit. And I think, to be honest, just the Pacers not having those athletic wings to attack the rim because, like, Jeremy Lamb's not fully himself yet. He's still coming back from that injury. I know he's had some good moments, but he didn't look explosive out there. I even think that maybe starting Doug McDermott would be an idea just to kind of provide some offense and just have somebody who can run off screens. I I feel like his handoff game with Sabonis is something they could work with, too. I mean, they for so for the longest time, the starting lineup uh, was McDermott and Holiday and Brogdon, Sabonis and Turner. They had Lamb coming off the bench, and then Lamb had some really nice games off the bench, shot creating. They said, "Okay, let's put that shot creator in the offense." And I'm with you. I actually think it would make more sense to put um, Lamb back on the bench, so there is an offensive option on that second unit. And if you're not going to start McDermott, then maybe start Edmund Sumner, a, another young guy from the Patriots, got a little bit of runtime tonight. Has kind of fallen out of the rotation, but plays good defense. He had one possession, and I don't know if you remember, it was in the first half. 
he uh, <laughs> he isoed on someone and like dribbled five steps back and then went like full tilt towards the rim. I'm like, yo, you're not Giannis. Like, I don't know yeah. what you're doing, bro. Um, which is probably why he's out of the rotation slightly because he doesn't trust his jump shot, doesn't really have a jump shot. So his only way to score is to get to the rim. So, you know, it's just kind of predictable. And like, like that position in particular, like, what are you doing, man? And then, you know, Aaron Holly is what it is. But I think maybe a slight starting rotation adjustment might be the Pacers' best bet, at least at this point in time. Especially when you're in a funk like this, you know, four-game losing streak, and like you said, going against the Nets team that has struggled defensively when they weren't able to take care of some of those weaknesses. Even on the boards, Nets won 57-51. Obviously, some of that is math. Just with the Nets shooting a better field goal percentage, it's going to be harder. But at the end of the day, they actually the percentages came pretty close. The Nets shot 42% from the field. Pacers 39%, three-point percentage. Pacers actually shot 39%, and Nets shot 29%. It's really the free-throw line where I think the Nets won this game. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, you know, it, the first half, Pacers couldn't hit anything. That third quarter really helped. And again, this game looks close, the 104-94. It wasn't as close. Like you said, the free throws were a, a big a big benefit to this Nets team because even when the offense got a little bit out of rhythm, their stars were able to get to the line. Yeah, and I think moving forward just from the Nets side, getting to the free throw line is so important because like we talked about earlier, it allows you to set up your defense and the teams don't get those transition opportunities and they really have to earn their points. And even taking a couple seconds off the, the shot clock, we saw Tyler Johnson, Bruce Brown tonight pick up full court. I think small little details like that from the Nets can be a big factor because they don't have to necessarily be an elite defensive team. They just have to make teams earn their baskets. You know what I mean? And I think they did yeah. that enough tonight and the Pacers kind of settled a little bit, I think, at points for three-point shots, especially for guys who weren't hot. 100%. But, Corey, anything else you want to touch on about this game? I mean, we might as well just spend, you know, three, four minutes on just the the nice tribute that the Brooklyn Nets did give to Karis LeVert, his first time back at Barclays Center since the trade. Um, I thought it was really cool post game to see uh, a bunch of the guys from the Nets go up to Karis LeVert, give him some hugs. Kyrie gave him, like, an extended bear hug, it looked like. Terrible Le- teammate. And Levert was like, like almost like, all right, we're done. And 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 Irving was like, no, not yet, man. Like, you know, I want to hold your embrace. I also saw them kind of like, I saw Irving point at like his side, probably where he had the surgery, because obviously he had the the kidney surgery. So I thought that was funny, DeAndre. Like literally everyone, coaches were all going up to Karis Levert, and I think that just shows what Karis Levert meant to those players and to that team. And you can, you know, elaborate on that a little bit further. Yeah, Corey's trying to make me cry in the podcast. But, <laughs> you know, Karis LeVert, obviously, anybody who's listened to the Brooklyn Buzz or even the outlet knows he's one of my favorite players in the NBA. Uh, sad to see him leave the Nets, but happy in the same sense that the trade was able to discover, you mentioned, the cancerous uh, thing they found on his kidney, able to have successful surgery, look like he'll be back for the Pacers. And no surprise, to be honest, Karis is beloved by everybody in the Nets organization, fan base as well. He's just a very, very likable guy. He just seems like he's very nice and genuine person and obviously rubbed a lot of his teammates the right way because they were all very excited to see him all pointing towards him during that tribute video, which was great to see. I mean, even in a short stint and especially with all the injuries he'd suffered in a Nets uniform, he had a lot of big moments for the team. And really, I think his best basketball is still in front of him. There's still plenty of growth for him because like I've talked about a lot in the buzz is the fact is that Karis Avert has missed so much time that every rep he gets on the court, it's like a little bit more experience for him to grow as a player, especially over the course of this last year, really developing his playmaking and point guard skills and taking that part of his game to the next level. I'm excited to what he can do with the Pacers because I think there's an obvious role for him with obviously Oladipo being traded, but just given the pieces on this roster, Karis Avert has an opportunity to maybe be their number one scorer. 
Yeah, I mean, and again, like on nights like tonight, Levert's the guy you miss. You miss yeah. someone who could also facilitate and get his own offense when guys like Brogdon are struggling and it would also make Brogdon's jobs a whole lot easier. Um, and I can't wait to see Karis Levert again. Um, obviously, I know that you're, you and Jack are big fans of him. You in particular are a big fan of him. Uh, you know, I got about I know, five autographed Karis Levert rookie cards. <laughs> living okay i'm gonna have to buy one of those for you how much you want a thousand dollars okay uh yeah um yeah i mean he's he's gonna he's a class act and you know you mentioned to me a little bit about like just his background all the adversity he's already faced in his career he's just another thing to grow from and again you know it's not on the the forefront but like levert's mindset has to be too to at some point in time like okay the nets traded me like yes they got james harden from it but i want to prove to these guys that i am a star caliber player and i hope that's the kind of guy that the Pacers get from lavert and i'm sure they're going to get him you know there's no timetable i know nate bjorken said today that he was shooting in the gym he's been doing some light stuff in the gym which means he's back doing some sort of basketball you know uh practices and workouts which is really good to see just that timetable don't expect him before the all-star break um, of course, only nine games before then, but still, uh, it's really promising news for Karis LeVert. Yeah, and I mean, the good thing is, obviously, we don't know the details of the surgery, but it wasn't like his knee was operated on, his calf right. or his thigh or anything, so he should be able to get back to conditioning as soon as they say everything's okay. And I think just talking about his fit even a little bit more, like, not only could they just use the scoring, but just a pick-and-roll partner for Sabonis. Like, a night like tonight where he can't really get things going, getting DeAndre Jordan on the move and getting him in some of those weird situations, Karis Avert can excel in that area and really help push this Pacers team to another level. Even Miles Turner, like running pick and pop with him, which is kind of interesting that the Pacers don't run that more in general, but that'd be a guy where I feel like, hey, that's creating space for Karis. You want to send the double team and you uh, hit Turner at the top of the key? Easy three ball. And I think defensively, he hasn't been great in Brooklyn, but there's been plenty of flashes where maybe on a better defensive team, you'll be able to see him fully utilized, especially like the Pacers don't necessarily force a ton of turnovers. Karras is a guy that can be active in the passing lanes and create some steals when he's playing his best basketball. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the, the, I mean, that's normally one of the Pacers' best aspects of their ability to create turnovers, get out and run. They just couldn't do any of that tonight, um, even from some of the turnovers they got. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Levert obviously is going to help this team in a variety of ways when he gets back. I know some people I saw, tw- you know, tweeting, chirping about how, you know, we said the Pacers weren't a playoff team. Like, okay, you said the Pacers weren't a playoff team when they were fully healthy. The Pacers aren't healthy. It's not the same. If this team has a Victor Oladipo and T.J. Warren fully healthy, they're in a good spot. And if Karis Levert's healthy and T.J. Warren is healthy or not healthy, this team is still in a better spot. It's really hard to play when your best two wings are Doug McDermott and Justin Holiday. Yeah. And that's another shout because I think Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott are very good for their contracts and who they are as players, but they're being asked to be in much bigger roles than what they should be in. What's the timetable on TJ Warren? There is no, uh, there hasn't been, definitely. Yeah, there, there hasn't been any timetable update on TJ Warren or Karis LeVert, which I know has been something I saw a talking point on a Patriot Twitter, especially tonight as they've been getting destroyed by the Nets, is we need some sort of optimism. We need some sort of update on when this team is going to have back two shot creators. Yeah, I think uh, in the Levert situation, you don't want to necessarily put any pressure on him. Yeah. So you don't want to do anything with TJ Warren. It's a little bit differently, but it's uh, plantar fasciitis, right? Yeah, and he had, well, he had a he had a fracture in his foot. And he had surgery on it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so he's he's recovering from a fracture in his foot. I'm not sure if he's even back at basketball operations yet. Yeah, I mean that's just a tough injury to deal with, especially during the season. Then you got to get your conditioning right and everything like that. But Corey, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? No, hopefully this next game is uh, a lot more competitive. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll be able to do this again. I think the Nets and Pacers at least play one more time, if not two. But always a pleasure, Corey. And you can hear Corey and I talk on the outlet if you want general NBA stuff. Like I said, Brooklyn Buzz for Nets stuff, Alexis Pacers for Pacers stuff. And as always, thank you for listening. Peace out, Nuckleheads. <laughs> Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.